but it is a, it, I, I'm glad that we were at least able to communicate uh, via uh, Facebook and, and um, technology. It can be a scary thing, but it can be a good thing too. And uh, right now, uh, it's a good thing. And I'm, uh, I'm glad that you're able to tune in. Um, <clears throat> there are, are a couple of uh, announcements I want to make uh, right out the beginning. Oh, by the way, while I'm doing this, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, <clears throat> we'll be there in a minute. I just got a couple things I want to talk about uh, to bring everybody up to speed on what's going on here at the church. Um, <clears throat> we will be uh, doing the same thing via uh, Facebook Live uh, at 6 o'clock tonight when we would normally have our church service. Um, so please plan on tuning in. And uh, we have been in our church, as, as, as most you know, uh, we have been uh, going through the book of Job on Sunday nights. And uh, I have been very, very burdened uh, to put that on hold for now. Um, God has very clearly directed me in, in a different direction. Um, we're going to be talking about, I, I'm going to be calling the series Facing Our Giants. About eight years ago, I did a similar series. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of naming it the same thing because it's kind of got the same idea to it. But Facing Our Giants, and we're going to be talking about a lot of the things that come up in our lives. Uh, <clears throat> uh, loneliness, uh, temptation, pride, anger, fear, worry, uh, addictions, and, and just different giants that come into our lives and how God is able to overcome those giants in our lives. Uh, I have just been very, very impressed in my heart that we need to be doing this study uh, in lieu of the, the Job uh, study. I, I don't know if it's mainly because of what's going on in our world, or uh, I, I don't know why. But anyway, that's what we're going to be doing. Um, so please tune in uh, 6 o'clock every Sunday evening uh, until, uh, obviously, until we can get back together as a church. And, and quite frankly, I do... I am I am very much looking forward to being able to have church again, normal church. Um, this this is this is good, uh, but it's not church, and um, uh, we just have to make the best of the situation that God has given us to to deal with. Um, the other thing that I want you to be praying about um, is we're trying to do a live feed as well. Uh, with uh, Facebook Live, but also a live feed where you could just go to our website and be able to, to just watch live. Um, we're trying to work on that. The, the technology, uh, we, we were <clears throat> missing a little bit of the technology, but we were able to get that yesterday, uh, but the software and figuring it all out. Uh, so if you would pray that between now and, and uh, Wednesday, uh, we would be able to figure that out. Uh, we would appreciate that. And Wednesday, we're going to be holding our services at normal time as well. Uh, and if you need the notes for the Wednesday service, if you'll contact me, I'll email you the notes so that you'll be able to follow along and, and interact with our message on Wednesday. So having said all that, 
<clears throat> Hopefully you've been able to find 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. <clears throat> but before we get there, I, I, as I was studying for this message, I was thinking about my kids. Um, yesterday I got a, got a text from a friend of mine who um, he and his wife just had a, had a, a baby girl yesterday. Or the day before, I can't remember. Anyway, I got I got the I got the text yesterday, and uh, what a joy it is to bring a little person in the world. And I, I, as I was studying for this message, I, I was thinking about my own children and and the fact that <clears throat> I remember um, holding my children when they were very little and and trying to get them to stand and getting their little legs to hold their weight and. And as I would hold them around their their torso, I would I would set them on my lap and 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 try to get them to to extend their legs and try to get them to stand up. And then eventually they would they would be able to stand. And then after just a little bit, their their little legs would buckle and and they would they would fall. And so it was a it was a time. Uh, of training for my kids to teach them how to stand. Eventually, they were able to stand, and then as they would crawl along the floor, they would crawl over to a coffee table or a chair or the couch or something. They would they would pull themselves up and they would stand there very proudly uh, for a minute or two, and then and then boom, they'd fall over. But it's a process, is it not? It's a process to ultimately get my children to the point where they could walk. My goal was not necessarily to get them so that they could stand. My goal was to get them so that they could walk. Ultimately, the stronger they got, not only were they able able to walk, but they were able to run. And so often, we want our babies to bypass all of that, and we want them to start walking and running. But the problem is we need to teach them how to stand first. As a pastor, my ultimate goal for each of you is to get you to the point where you could run the Christian race. Because ultimately, is that not what God wants us to do? Is to run the race that God has for each of us. But in order to run the race, you've got to first learn how to stand. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Wherefore, seeing we are... are, (laughs) Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us, but let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, ultimately the goal is to get each of us to be able to run the race. But again, it is, it is imperative that we learn how to stand before we can run. As we <clears throat> study Scripture, it is important to 
find the context of Scripture. And, and a couple of ways you can do that is, is to identify key words and, and or key phrases. Uh, oftentimes it's these things uh, that God uh, will reveal to us or illuminate in our, in our minds and allows us to get a glimpse of uh, the, <clears throat> the context in which we are reading. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, oh, thank you. I should have gotten this before we started, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, there is a key word. I want you to, to, to see if we can focus in on it for a second. It's in verse 2 and verse 13. In verse 2, it says, And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in, uh, uh, in the gospel of, of Christ to establish you and comfort you in, <clears throat> concerning your faith. Look at verse 13. To the end, he, esta- he established your hearts <clears throat> unblameable in the holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So the key word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 is the word establish. Establish means to strengthen, confirm, or to ground well. It's, it's important we get this because it, it, has the, it is the key idea of being able to stand in our faith. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we see the key phrase in verse 8. Look at verse 8. For now we live if we stand fast in the Lord. See, the key phrase here is to stand fast. If we will stand fast or be established, if you would. You see, the phrase, the phrase in, in, in verse 8 uh, ties directly into the key word of establish in, in verses <clears throat> 2 and 13. So the title of my message this morning, if you're keeping notes, and I hope you are, uh, <clears throat> learning to stand. Learning to stand. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your love, for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, even though <clears throat> most of us are not able to assemble together, uh, we ask, dear God, that you would uh, use this time to speak to our hearts and that you would help us, dear God, to grow stronger as we stand so that we can run the race that you have for us. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just as a baby needs to learn how to stand, so does a Christian <clears throat> in their walk with the Lord. If we are ever going to be able to run the race, we have to understand and be established in the faith. It is so important. One of the things that I struggle with the most, and most of you that know me know this to be true, I am not in any way, shape, or form a patient person. I want, <clears throat> I want to be... 
I want it and I want it now and I want to be moving. And the last thing in the world I want to do is walk anywhere. I want, and one of my frustrations, and most of you know this, is I've had a knee infection that has really slowed me down. And what is really frustrating many times is I have to, if my wife and I are walking somewhere, I have to be constantly telling my wife to slow down. Where for the last 38 years or so of our marriage, she was the one always yelling at me to slow down. And it's, it's kind of frustrating that I cannot move as quickly as I possibly can. But it's the same way in my, wife, in my life spiritually. I need to be constantly moving forward in that, in that constant movement forward. <clears throat> but I want to stop right here and I want to share my heart for just a minute. We, the church, Christians, are getting a glimpse into what our faith is really like during this crisis in our country, in our world. I think that God has allowed this crisis for for many reasons, but one is for Christians to really get a hold of their own faith. And oftentimes, as I have been communicating with a lot of people, uh, the thing that has been uh, communicated to me is the fact that, you know what, my faith isn't as strong as I thought it was. Don't be content with just saying, okay, I just need to grow a little bit. No, we need to be established. We need to stand firm in our faith. Robert McKee uh, wrote this, True character is revealed in the choices a human being makes under pressure. The greatest, excuse me, the greater the pressure, the deeper the the revelation, the truer the choice to the character's essential nature. In other words, what he's saying is, the more pressure that is put on us as believers, it is going to reveal the amount of, the, 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 not the, the amount, but the level of faith that we each have. Incredible thought for us in this very, very difficult time. <clears throat> Verse number eight again, uh, for now we live if ye stand fast, where? In the Lord. See, we need to stand fast in the Lord. Point number one. As, as we, uh, well, let, let's go ahead and read <clears throat> verses one through five very quickly here in chapter three. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good uh, to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborers in the gospel of Christ to, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed unto uh, thereunto. And verily, when we were with you, we told you before that you, would, that you should suffer tribulation, even as it uh, came to pass, <clears throat> as, you knew, as you know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith 
lest by some means the tempter have uh, tempted you and our labor be in vain. Point number one this morning is Paul's concern. Paul's concern. The very first word in chapter uh, chapter three is the word wherefore. And basically what this word wherefore is, it is referring to everything that's happened in chapters one and two. Because of all the things that have happened in chapter one and two, Paul is saying, because of all that, because of all what? See, Paul uh, loved these these believers in, in, in Thessalonia. Uh, he had only been able to be with them for three weeks before he was uh, forced to leave because of persecution uh, that was taking place. So the fact that he had only been there for just a short period of time, but his heart had been knit to these people. They were, they were personally suffering persecution at the time. And because they wanted to do right, Paul wrote the book of First and Second Thessalonians to help them in their walk, to help establish them in the faith. That's the whole point of, of the book of the books of First and Second Thessalonians. Paul's concern is his is the evidence of his love. See, love is a verb; it's not a noun. And 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 at least in this context, and 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 Paul is showing his love by what he's willing to do for them. See, we can become so discouraged with this word love because we think that love is this ushy-gushy feeling that takes place, but it's not. Love is an action. Love is something that we show. Love is something that we demonstrate. Paul didn't just sit around telling the people that he loved them. He had tried multiple times to get back to Thessalonica, but he was unable to. See, Paul was willing to demonstrate his love for these people by doing. And so often we forget. Paul was not what Jesus called a hireling shepherd. I don't know if you've ever noticed this passage, but in in John chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, Jesus describes what a hireling shepherd is. But he, that is a hireling, is not the shepherd uh, who who owns uh, the sheep are not. Seeing the wolf cometh and and, and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep, and the, the hireling fleeth because he is the hireling and careth not for the sheep. In other words, what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, is a, a hireling shepherd, when trouble happens, when the troubles start to come in, they're going to run. They're not going to fight the lion or the bear. A perfect example would be David was a young shepherd boy, uh, fought the lion and the bear. Why? Because he was personally invested in those sheep because they belonged to his father. But a hireling is going to say, hey, I don't care about it. And see, Paul is not a hireling shepherd. He is a loving shepherd. We see in 2 Corinthians 
uh, chapter 12, verse 15, Paul says this. He says, I, uh, <clears throat> And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. See, what was Paul? Paul was talking to the Corinthians here, but he could have been talking to the Thessalonians. He was willing to spend and be spent because he loved people. That is an action. That is putting into action this word love. Praise God that we have a loving shepherd that loves us. That is not a hireling shepherd. Amen? Praise God for that. John chapter 10, verses 27 and 30. My Sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. See, we have a loving shepherd that when we get saved, when we ask Jesus Christ into our heart, he becomes our shepherd. And the picture is that when we get saved, we are put into the hand of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is in the hand of God. What an incredible blessing we have. That is the kind of shepherd that we have. As a pastor, I can testify to the incredible burden that Paul was carrying for this church in Thessalonica. When our people hurt, I hurt. Right now, a lot of people are, are locked into their homes and, and, and maybe even some of you are in, in quarantine or, or, or fearful or, or whatever, whatever. But this morning as I was praying for this service, <clears throat> my heart was just so heavy that the truth of this, this message would be able to reach into the hearts of many today. Point number one, Paul's concern. Number two, let's look at his emissary. His emissary. Look at verse two. And sent Timotheus, our brother, a minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Paul sent Timothy or Timotheus, Timothy, uh, back to Thessalonica for two reasons. The first one <clears throat> I want to kind of talk about here just a second is that it, it, he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica because Paul loved the people. And he, and he didn't want to leave them shepherdless. He, need, he felt like somebody needed to go and guide them. So that's why he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica. The second reason, and I think the most important reason, is because <clears throat> he trusted Timothy. He trusted Timothy. And I, I want to I talk about Timothy for a minute because th this really ties into the whole idea of here of being established in the faith. Timothy was the perfect man for the job. Now, as a pastor, I understand and have learned that every church is different. Every pastor is different. But not every pastor is right for every church. Does that make sense? 
But Timothy was the perfect man for the job to go back to Thessalonica. And and I say that for a couple reasons. And I want to, well, actually, I think there's four reasons I want, but I want to talk about, first off, he was a Christian. And you think, well, that that's kind of a one of those duh moments, <laughs> you know. I mean, but but seriously, think about this for a second. I don't know about you, but I I have known, personally known pastors that have gotten saved. You think, wait a minute, how could that happen? How could a pastor get saved? It's really easy. They have always, up until that point, trusted in their works, not in their faith in Jesus Christ. I personally know of deacons that have gotten saved. You think, wait, how how could somebody be that tied into a church where it's because they've never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? But how does Paul identify Timothy here in in, in verse 2? He says, and I sent Timotheus, or Timothy, our brother. See, Paul had personally led Timothy to the Lord, and he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Timothy was a born-again Christian. Matthew chapter 17, excuse me, chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Happens all the time. There are preachers, excuse me, there are pastors and preachers across our country in churches today that do not know the Lord. That's a a harsh statement to say, but it's true because we're warned of them in in Matthew chapter 7. We need to be careful of the teacher that we sit under. The second thing is that he is identified as a minister. He says, it says, uh, uh, our brother and minister of God. Now, what is a minister? Now, oftentimes, as a pastor, I am referred to as a minister. And that is a 21st century uh, word that means pastor, but that, that's not what this word means. The word minister here literally means to be a servant. Now, should every pastor be a servant? Absolutely. But Paul identifies him firstly as a Christian, secondly, as a servant. And, and it's not a servant in the sense that he, it is the lowliest of lowly servants, if that makes sense. It is the foot-washing servant. It is the one who does the dirtiest jobs. It is the lowest of low of the servant food chain, if you would. That's what that's how Paul described Timothy. And honestly, that is how each of us should be described. As we stand, establish ourselves in the community around us, we all should be known as servants. That's what we need to be. 
I believe that, uh, well, the, 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 the Greek word for minister here is the, word, uh, is the Greek word diakonos, which we get the English word deacon from. But again, it just means to be a servant. And I believe that this, is, this, this idea of being a deacon or, or a, a servant is defined very good uh, very clearly in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy uh, that ye be like-minded, uh, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. I don't know a better way to define what a servant or a deacon, a diakonos, should be. Timothy was first and foremost a servant to these people. He did not go there promoting himself. He went there to promote Christ. And that's exactly how we should be. And the third characteristic ties right into the same, to the same idea. He is a, uh, thirdly, he is a team player. Let's look at verse three again. Uh, our brother, uh, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer. He was a team player. It wasn't about Timothy. It was about Jesus Christ. Now, I can say this honestly as I possibly can. One of the things that I love about Grace Baptist Church so much is that our church is full of people that are team players. And I want to publicly thank all of our people for being that way. I don't know one person in our church that has a desire to stand up and say, hey, look at me. Because it's not about us as individuals. It's about Jesus Christ. And I'm so very thankful for that. What, a, what an incredible testimony to uh, the community around us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, and ye are God's builders, building. See, it's not about us. It's about Him. And the more we understand that, the better off we're going to be. The fourth characteristic I want to talk about Timothy, and, and I this is kind of all, kind of sums up who Timothy was as a whole, is that he was mature. He was mature in his walk with the Lord. He was not a baby still learning how to stand. He was not only walking, but he was running the race, if you would. He was a mature believer. And how do we know that? <clears throat> it's because, uh, well, let's, let's look at verse 2 again. It's, and and sent uh, Timotheus, our brother, uh, and minister of God and fellow labor in the gospel of Christ to what? To establish and comfort you concerning your faith. See, 
an immature believer would never be able to, to help establish an immature believer. You need somebody who's mature in order to help establish. And also then he is, he is brought alongside to comfort. And the idea of comfort here is literally to, to come alongside, to put your arm around someone and comfort them through a difficult time. And that's what this idea, and that's, what, that's why Paul sent Timothy to, to Thessalonica was to help establish these young Christians, to help get them grounded in the Word of God, but also to, to come alongside and put his armor on and say, hey, you know what? I understand what you're going through. I've been there. But see, you can't do that unless you're a mature Christian yourself. <clears throat> It's no wonder Paul in Philippians refers to Timothy as being like-minded. In, in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, it says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be uh, of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man... <clears throat> Excuse me, for for I have no man uh, like-minded um, who will uh, n- naturally care for your state. Paul refers to Timothy here as as the the one man who's like-minded, the one man who Paul can always trust on to act the way he would act. What an incredible! What an incredible blessing. Point number three, Paul's challenge. And this is really where I wanted to get to uh, this morning and we'll be done here in just a a few minutes. Look look at verse three. That no man should be moved by these afflictions for, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, <clears throat> when we were with you, we told you before that we that we would uh, should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, as you know. But th- for for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know uh, your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. I want to take a minute and really break down verse 3 because because really this is the, the whole core of the, of the message right here. Verse 3 is is really, really key for, for us to understand uh, this entire passage. By these afflictions, well, uh, let me back up, uh, <clears throat> that no man should be moved. Now, <clears throat> on the surface, we would look at that and 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 think as as though uh, you know we're supposed to stand fast and and hold the line, but that's that's really not what's talking about. It, 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 he's literally saying we should not be disturbed or troubled in our hearts. We shouldn't be moved to fear. We shouldn't allow uh, uh, worry to take place to 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 take seat in our hearts. 
So when, when as we see this idea of, of that we no man should be moved, it means we shouldn't be disturbed or troubled by what's going on around us. The second thing he says, by these afflictions, the word afflictions here literally means pressures or tensions. Now, stupid question. Do any of us have pressures and tensions in our lives right now? Hello? <laughs> yeah, we all do. And Paul says we shouldn't be disturbed by those things. But then he goes on. He says, for yourselves know that we, have, uh, uh, that we are appointed thereunto. In other words, we have an appointment. So let's take, let's take verse 3 and, and, and kind of bring it into 21st century vernacular so that we can all get a really good grip on what Paul's saying here. I'm going to read this so that, so that I don't get it wrong. He says, We should not be disturbed or troubled about pressures and tensions <clears throat> that come into our lives because we have an appointment with it. It's part of life. It is, we have an appointment. Paul's challenge is amazing when we understand what he's trying to say. Jesus tells us in John chapter 16, verse 33, uh, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. In other words, you're going to have these appointments. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You're going to have these appointments through your life, but guess what? I've already overcome them. You can have peace through me. In the midst of the chaos that is going on in our country, in our world today. We should not be surprised. We should not be disturbed or troubled by what is going on. And you think, Pastor, that's about the stupidest thing I've ever heard you say. No, that's what God says. That's not what I say. That's what God says. We shouldn't be troubled. We shouldn't be disturbed because these appointments are going to come and go. Now, what is, what is life going to look like after all this is done? I don't know, but I can tell you this. It's going to be different. It, it, it has to be. This phrase that I'm about to share with you appears 63 times in the Bible. And that, that phrase is fear not. Fear not. 63 times in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 35 verse 4 says, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, our God will come with a vengeance. Even God with the uh, recompense. He will come and save you. Let me reassure you. God was in no way, shape, or form caught off guard by this virus. He is not sitting up in heaven, wringing his hands, worrying about how he's going to fix this problem. He's not doing that. 
It is an appointment that he had in the books for a long time. And all we need to do is understand that's all it is. Now, should we wash our hands more? Like my, my wife was telling the kids earlier when he, she did junior church, yes, you need to be washing your hands more. In fact, I was complaining to my wife uh, the other day, I've, I've washed my hands so much that they're, they're starting to dry out and I need to, I need to start using some, some lotion on them or something. <clears throat> but it's an appointment. And God is in control. God is still on the throne. He has not left the throne. He is not worried. He is not scared. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In closing, I want to go back to the key word in verse Thessalonians chapter 3, and that is the word to establish. And I want to give you an Old Testament example of that word because it will, I think it will help us better understand what that word really is. The nation of Amalek, as the children of Israel left Egypt and they were traveling across the desert toward the promised land, they came to the, to the land of Amalek, which they were actually cousins, <clears throat> by the way. But as they came into the land of Amalek, as they were on their journey to the promised land, the Amaleks attacked Israel. And they were, they, they, anyway, I, I don't want to get into it, but my point is this. <clears throat> there was a big, there was a big battle. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 11 and following, it says this. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, the Amalek prevailed. So here's the picture. Moses is on, on the hill or the mountain looking down under the valley. And as long as his hands were up and he was praying to God, Israel prevailed. But when his hands got tired and they started to come down, then the nation of Amalek started to prevail. Hopefully you get the picture. But Moses' hands were heavy and they, uh, and, and they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, one on, one on the one side and, one, and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until uh, the going down of the sun. And Joshua uh, uh, discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. In other words, the victory was won because not of not because of Moses here. Please get this. This is important. We get this. The victory was not won because Moses kept his hands up. It was won because of because of two guys named Aaron and Hur. They came alongside it. The Bible says they, they, there's two words here. It said they stayed up. Moses' hands. It is the same exact word in the New Testament that we get the word established. They stayed up or they established. They strengthened Moses' hands so the victory could be won. There are people all around us 
today, this morning, right now? Saved and unsaved who are struggling with fear and anxiety. And if there's ever been a time that the church has needed to be established, it's now. Now is not the time to be weak in our faith. We need to be established. We need to learn to stand so that we could walk, ultimately so that we could run the race that God has for us. God's people have never had the opportunity to reach the unsaved like we have right now. Granted, we're not meeting in church, but there are still unsafe people all around us that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. This world needs people that are willing to stand. We need to stand. John chapter 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We need each other. We need to stand. and We need to run the race. But it's only going to be because we learn first how to stand. Paul here gives us purpose, if you would, to get us to stand. Love, compassion, and empathy. We need it in our, in our people today. God has not been caught off guard. This whole thing is nothing more than an appointment on God's calendar for mankind. We just need to keep the appointment, stand strong, and run the race. Let's pray.